Our scripture this morning is taken from Psalm 98. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. By his right hand and his holy arm, he has saved his people. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of ram's horns. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's just call out the obvious that Greg and I have matching pants on. Ah. <laughs> um, it, it's so the brotherhood of the weeks, blue pants. When you're in your last two weeks, all your dreams come true. Greg has wanted to do this for years. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. And so real quick, the story. We were on our way to a staff retreat in, in Palm Desert a few years ago. And we drove out together because we are friends. And, <laughs> and uh, I had to stop at the, you have to stop at the outlets, right? So I stopped to get a pair of pants and I'm in line buying this pair of pants and we weren't, we didn't like shop together. We didn't have like frappuccinos and walk around Banana Republic together, but <laughs> I'm in line and I'm holding his pants and Greg goes, those are great. Can I do my Greg? Is that okay? Oh, sure, sure. Hello, Jeff. These are great pants you have. <laughs> I'm gonna get a pair too. And he, he went and got the pair. So we've had these together, but this is their first together together. So Greg, <laughs> this is amazing. So. Right, it, I, I call it the brotherhood of the bright blue pants. There you go. Yeah. Soak it in, it will never happen again, okay? Um, so a little bit different this morning and really very spontaneously. Uh, this week during our sermon preparation meeting, the pastors that were gathered and Greg were talking about this psalm that, um, that this woman, I noticed you have eyes for the woman who was uh, reading the scripture this morning. Um, uh, as we were just having this great dialogue around the text, Greg uh, goes, I just kind of feel like there's so much to this text. Jeff, wouldn't it be great if you, almost if you interviewed me? And we said, I think that would be actually really amazing with this text. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to be so in Psalm 98. But as you know, hopefully from Greg's words over this summer, part of this psalm series is, is Greg sharing with us um, some of the most important things from the psalms for him, for us as a church as he transitions out of this role um, in, in just a short amount of time. Um, and so, Psalm 98, Greg, before we jump into the interview uh, around Psalm 98, would you talk through the psalm with us real quick? Help us understand how you see the psalm and the message of the psalm? Yeah, I'd be glad to. I'm not sure which, am I using this one? 
Well, I'll, I'll hold both of them. Uh, so Psalm 98 is the one we're looking at that Chris just read for you. If you have your Bible, look at that, and if you don't have it, pull out your phone or, or pad or something and find that. Um, this is the psalm that is the basis for joy to the world, the Lord has come, uh, that Isaac Watts wrote a long time ago. And as, as you read that psalm or as you listen to Chris read it, you know that it's filled with joy because it tells us in verse 4, all the earth is going to have a time when it bursts in the song, I mean loud joy, and it tells us that all the earth will shout for joy before the Lord our King in, in verse 6. Now you know that we usually sing joy to the world when? At Christmas time, thinking of the first coming of Jesus, but really this is not about that first coming of Messiah. It is about the return of the King, the second coming of Messiah. He came the first time in humility. He's going to come in great triumph and make everything right and all those things we complain about and all the messes we have, they won't be anymore. So we sing hallelujah about it. So if you have that psalm in front of you, let me just walk you through it. And then Jeff and I will talk a little bit about why this has so much affected the way I've thought about and been engaged in parts of the life of Lake Avenue over these 12 years. So there's several parts. It starts, as so many of the psalms do, by remembering what God has done in the past. Those are the first three verses. So he remembers, do you see it? Marvelous things. It's actually miracle-filled things that God had done for the people of Israel in the past, but it's not going to be just for Israel at the end because when you come to verse 2, do you see it's going to happen to all the nations? God's marvelous work to make everything right will happen for all peoples. And in fact, it says in verse 3, it's going to go to the ends of the earth. So it remembers how powerful God is, so he can do anything. Then, just by implication, it looks at the world right now and says, when we look at our world, though God is here and is at work, he has not yet completed his work. Everything is not perfect. Can I have a witness for that? So he doesn't directly state it, but it's just the, the beauty of the poetry that is here in this psalm. And anybody reading it knows that the psalmist is really saying, that there's still work in my world that God needs to do because there are things that are messed up, and that's true of ours as well, isn't it? Which brings us to the real major part of the psalm, the third part, which is verses 4 through 8. It looks forward to the day that the God who does miracles is actually going to complete his work in this world. That's the source for joy. So as you look at verse 4, it says the entire world, the whole earth is going to shout for joy. It's loud joy. It's going to be singing louder than any of us did here uh, today. And when it says all the earth, did you notice as Chris read, it literally means all the earth, all peoples of this earth. And then it talks about rivers clapping their hands and mountains joining in and singing. And I know that that is metaphorical, but... There's something very real about that because you know what's happened. Our whole world has gotten messed up because of human sin. I mean, we're, we're wrestling with that now with the climate issues that we've had and all the earthquakes and tsunamis that happen in our world. It's Romans 8 where Paul says, all creation groans for God to renew human beings who will then take up our role to actually care for the world that God has made. It's going to happen. So it's going to be great, great singing and shouting. And what it says is that the thing that's going to mark 
the, the God stepping in to finish his work is going to be the coming of a king, the coming of a king. And in fact, all the great epic literature from every culture really has this sort of thing. When things are messed up, there's going to be a king returns. It's like, it's, it's like uh, Robin Hood waiting for King Richard. It's, it's especially like Tolkien looking for Aragorn to come to the return of the king. When the king comes, then suddenly all this evil is going to be, but this is going to be the king over all kings who's going to come. And so that's, that's, that's what's going to lead to all the shouting and jubilant praise and the joy to the world. But then the last verse has something in there that I'll tell you often. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, we talked about this. Verse 9, it tells us that judgment is a part of the joy. Sing for the king comes to judge. Uh, Jeff pointed out when we had our sermon prep time with some of the other pastors, he said, you know, there's a verse in the malls that I don't usually hear from Joy to the World. It's the one that says, no more let sins and sorrows come. Don't let thorns infest the ground because there's a curse that's happened in our world that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be judged, that needs to be pulled out. We don't usually sing that one. But we know, as has been heard even, I've been hearing it all week with the issues that have happened with the shootings, with the issues that have happened with the Jeffrey Feinstein issues. Um, everybody is saying, we've got to have justice. The evil has to be dealt with. Somebody has to come and judge that or else there can be no real joy. You know, we say that. And what God says is, I'm going to make sure that all wrongs are dealt with. Justice will reign, even as the song we sang talks about, and the king is going to bring it. But it's not the kind of thing that we in Southern California think about. We often think that the evil in our world, let's just ignore it, you know, sweep it under the rug. But the fact is that God is going to come, and when he makes all things right, he'll make sure that, that, that evil is dealt with and justice does reign. So Tim Keller has summarized this, song in, uh, this psalm in such a wonderful way. He says, Here, here's this psalm. The king is coming. He's coming to judge us. Yay! What? The king is coming. He's coming to judge us. Yay! What? Well, that, that's when I read this psalm, um, I think about this. In the midst of this very, very broken world, it reminds us that our God is good and that he has the power to do miraculous things and to change the things that are so broken. We cling to that promise that he will make all things right, but we also know that for real justice and peace to reign, uh, the evil that's here has to be dealt with. So I, for me, this psalm has become a big template for how I engage when things emerge in our own church that are just so, so wrong. I look at it, I look back to what God has done. I look to the future, to what he says things will be, and then I pull it into the present and say, Father, how can we be the kind of church family that engages in your work of addressing sin and offering grace and offering restoration and hope? So that's, that's kind of an overview of this psalm, Jeff. Well, and, and you say it so naturally because it's, uh, I think, for those of us who've been close to you in moments of where there's been a really difficult situation of sin, you are this just natural champion for, for what you just said and what you see in the psalm, uh, restoration. And so this odd, and I think that's really counter to the world we live in. We live in a world where we want the wrong dealt with, and that usually means a punishment without a road to hope and reconciliation and res restoration. 
And so, you know, this, I, I think what you just said so naturally for you is very countercultural for many of us, myself included, uh, that the psalm is uh, countercultural with a message that blends joy and judgment. I mean, that alone is odd. Um, discipline and restoration. Um, so help us understand a little bit more um, how this, these themes and this psalm help the way you think about um, you and ministry at Lake and a local church, because we need this over and over again. Well, the way, and, and you and I have done this together, Jeff, the way this usually plays out is something will emerge in the life of our church, sometimes in our families or in our marriages, things that have often been hidden, things that are really messed up. Sometimes they explode right out into public. Sometimes it's not quite that public. Uh, it, it makes it to, the, to your senior pastor. And often people think, well, Greg has a PhD. He'll know what to do. Often when it comes, I have no idea what to do. It's, they often think, you've seen this before, haven't you? Well, I haven't seen anything quite like that before. And so, you, you know, I just want you to know that, there's, that, that sometimes matters are very hard where I'm quite unsure about how to actually step into it. But this psalm has become, as I said, a template for how, how I try to approach it. Um, when I don't know what to do, I look back, and I remember what this psalm says. God does miraculous things. He can do what I can't do. He can do a work that I could never accomplish. So I look forward and I say, well, here's what you want to do. You want to restore everyone and all things. You don't want to leave people where they are in this messiness. You're going to do... And so I just think about the whole gospel message that Jesus came to die to pay the punishment we deserve for our sins. I remember that, that when we receive Jesus as Savior, uh, that, that he gives us his Holy Spirit who begins to empower things in our lives personally, in our marriages, and in our families, and in our church that, that never otherwise would have been possible. I remember also that one of the reasons, and I preach this so often, one of the reasons why a church like Lake is placed where we are is to be involved in this work. He's, he, he, he's planted us here not just to, to do nice things, but actually to step in to some of the difficulties and, and be the place where his reconciling, his restoring work can happen. And with that promise in mind that God says, my work, it, I, my power can do it, and my promise is this, I'll restore everything. I just sort of step in, Jeff. You know, we've done this before. Step into that situation and take one step after another. You remember a few weeks ago, I said, sometimes you just pray for, Father, what's the next step? We just take one step after another. And so many times, see the miraculous work of God to restore. I mean, you, you've worked out, because I know we have a slide, mm -hmm. a, a visual that does kind of... Um, illustrate some of what those steps in what you just talked about, like what, how, what is a journey to restoration? What is, a, what is a road? And so could you talk through that visual for us? Right. In fact, this just came as we were talking in our pastoral meeting. Uh, I just started writing out how I look at this. So this is nothing profound. It is so simple. But joy to the world, uh, Psalm 98, we step in uh, to the mess that is there where the, our condition right now we're broken, and the brokenness often because of our, our sin. Now, in that point, the part that I don't have on this diagram is looking back. That's really an important part. This zakar, do you remember what that word means in Hebrew? 
You're better than last week. You remembered, remembered. Such an important part. I'll bring it back next week too. Remember, remember who God is. Remember what God has done. And then you apply that to this situation. This isn't outside his control. I remember that. We step into that situation. I look forward. When God is done, everything we sing and shout about, it's, it's going to be restored. It's going to be made new. There is hope. There's, we don't have to ever give up hope that God can do more than we could ever anticipate. And then we pull back into that middle section, what God is doing now. There's a process, Colossians 1. God is in, Jesus was sent to, to, to make possible the reconciling work of God. Reconciling, which means taking what is broken and healing it. Taking what is hostile and making peace. So that text, Psalm 98, becomes an important text for me. One other uh, that is sort of complementary to it in, in, in the New Testament is Galatians 6, 1 through 4, because I said I know that a church is here for this reason, to be involved in this kind of reconciling, restoring work. So I just want to read a verse or two of that for you. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, he's talking within the life of the church, you who live by the Spirit need to restore that person gently, but when you do, watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. So do you see what the mandate is? We don't ignore what is wrong. We step in, call people back to God. But, but the goal is always not just punishment, punitive. It is restoration. And it should be done with gentleness and humility. Because if we go to anyone and say, ah, what you've done is so bad, I could never do that, I'm telling you, we're the ones in trouble. <laughs> so that is uh, really what strikes me as, uh, Jeff, the important things that guide me in this. I, I just feel like when that messiness happens, we enter into that situation with gentleness and humility, but with the firmness of the gospel, take one step after another until we see the uh, miracle-working power of God. Yeah, and, and, and in a general sense, I think everything inside of me wants to say amen when things are messy, but when it gets specific, right? When we start thinking about the real pain that has come, that we've experienced, that, um, that, that's where it becomes a little more, I, I, I think we need a little bit more, like with restoration, with reconciliation, what kind of steps? Because I know for many of us, when we're, when we're in that place of sin, when we're blind to it, so that gentle part I get for the one who's done. But for those who've been hurt deeply or on the other side of that pain, um, what, what does reconciliation look like? What are some steps to reconciliation? Well, that is the part that's really hard, isn't it? I mean, you love looking back to what God's done. You look, love looking forward to singing joy to the world. It's not gonna stay like this, but it's that part in the middle that is hard. Now, what everyone wants is sort of, uh, Jeff, uh, one, two, three, four, five. Pastor Greg, what do you do so that we can do the very same thing? Check, 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 check. And when we get to the end, it's all going to be perfect. We human beings just don't fix that way. Uh, you step into it, and every, every situation is different. When I think, well, the last time this worked better than it seems to be working right now, what it calls us to do is going back to the God again and again and again and saying, Lord, that isn't working, what next? We still know where it's going to lead. He promises that he'll make all things new. 
So you just step in and walk and walk. But even though I can't give you a one, two, three, four, five, there are several words that come to my mind, Jeff, that uh, are always a part of this process. And I, I've asked us to put these on a slide so that you can look at them. One is confession. I find that when sin is in the situation, that whole truth has to come out. In countless situations, more often than not, whenever someone is caught in some sin, like Galatians 6.1 talks about, the only thing they confess is what's already been found out. They only uncover what's already been discovered. Uh, and yet there's so many other things in it. So confession means absolute transparency. Uh, since Adam and Eve sinned and hid in the bushes, we've been hiding stuff ever since. And I have found out that uh, until those things that are hidden deep inside actually come out into the light, you, the reconciling healing work, it, it just doesn't happen. So confession, um, but you know, confession is hard for us because uh, most, it's shame, isn't it? I mean, it's hard for me, too, just to, to admit weakness and, and failure. There's shame, and there, it's difficult to acknowledge. I, I, have, I am guilty. Now, when I talk about confession, it doesn't mean that everything that is confessed to those involved in the process has to be broadcast to the entire church. There are times when the sins that have emerged even in the life of our church have made it into public, and so I think the confession needs to be as public as actually it is known, but in those involved in the process, uh, it's just got to be uh, completely transparent uh, in, is to know the truth. So when confession happens, then repentance must take place. And you know, the, the word repentance, we often don't like it, but it really just means a turning around. The way I've been living has been messing up my marriage, my family, my friendships, my everything. I turn around, Lord, I don't, with your grace and with your power, I won't live that way. Um, I find that this repentance involves owning up to the pain that what we have done has been causing others. That's one of the things that we often, that's often, when I hear that happening, I'll know a person is really beginning to engage in the repentance process, and, and I found that when addictions or patterns have actually set in with the things that are coming to light, that often there are some special measures that may have to be taken to sort of uproot the cause and the source of those habits and addictions, going back to those places when that first started happening, identifying that, finding some special kind of counseling. Um, but I'll tell you, whenever a person really comes to this point of turning around, the prayer, and I wrote it down as something like this that, that I listened for, Lord, I know I've sinned against you, like, like the psalm you preached about, Jeff, and against others. Lord, I ask your forgiveness, and now I ask for your guidance to know how to apologize genuinely and to seek forgiveness from those I've hurt. By your grace and through your power, I will no longer live as I have been living. Again, um, I have found that sometimes when there are long-established patterns, in addition to some of the things I'll mention to you, you may need some professional counseling, uh, 12 steps kinds of programs. I hope that they'll be uh, Christ-centered <laughs> accountability. But I'll tell you, I, I'm really praying that we'll be able to have a lot of good support groups grace-filled support groups in our church because we need to do life together. 
to find victory in these ways. So that's the second word, repentance. Third, there often is discipline that is necessary. Um, it, it's always depending on prayer for, pray for wisdom. I, I don't use the word punishment here necessarily because it, it's not punitive. Uh, the word discipline I love in the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew word is musar. And in musar, often it does mean there are things you have to do. There, sometimes it's an imprisonment. Sometimes, there, are, there are different things that are a part of a discipline process. But the goal of discipline in the Bible is always, always, always restoration, not payback. Um, and so I, I pray that there will be through discipline a restoration of the relationship as far as possible. Now, I had that phrase too, as far as possible. Because, again, you've heard me say this often. Um, when situations come up where there has been violence or abuse in that situation, I would never send somebody right back into that place of danger. But as far as possible, through the wisdom and power of God, uh, restoration through discipline. And finally, and I, didn't, I wanted to find one word for this, but I'll tell you, the church is here to be engaged in, in doing this together, so I call it the Holy Spirit working in community. That means that God gives us His Holy Spirit, but I have found that the operative power of the Holy Spirit happens as it operates within that community of faith, that church that you make a part of. So when you become a part of a church, make a commitment to us. And then as James says, don't leave that church too quickly. <laughs> Let patience have its perfecting work. Stick together and walk through this together. So one of the things that we have put together uh, has been these three essentials for us becoming complete in Christ. Worshiping, uh, community, and service. Have you seen us talk about that? Worship, and that means what we're doing right now. You need to worship together with your family. I know it's, you can worship with your small group or your class, but you need to come in together with your church family and together have us as a church family commit our eyes to the Lord again and say, Lord, you have brought us together. We're going to walk together. Community, you also need to find a small group, and I've just prayed that that small group or at least individuals in that small group might be those that can actually walk with you, uh, holding you accountable, but at the same time offering grace with gentleness and, and humility, and then service. Sometimes the sin that comes out means the certain parts of service probably aren't open at those times. That's a part of the discipline often, but some area of service often is a part of what strengthenings us. Uh, Jeff, those are just some of the things that come to my mind as I think about the process. Yeah, and, and it's just interesting because I think um, the idea of God having judgment or just the need for judgment and justice in this world, we so often, I think, think about it by putting a period at the end of that. Like, God has judged. That's settled. And I think the way you're talking about judgment and the way the psalm speaks about judgment isn't that it's the end-all goal of God just to judge, but this essential part of God's larger restoration process. Um, but as we talked about in the sermon prep time, um, I think we are judgment desirers. We want uh, all the wrongs to be called out, especially the way we think they should be called out. And so we, we're very comfortable with the idea of judgment, at least that we can bring it, and we can even co-opt God a little bit to believe that the way we deem a situation, a person, 
um, something wrong in this world that if, if we can just get around a, enough people who think like us and agree with us, then, then the judgment will come. And, and really, that's what we want. We want the verdict of wrong. Um, but this is countercultural in the sense that that's only one part of the process. And so the hunger for justice must be a hunger for restoration, uh, for reconciliation. Um, and I think that's a struggle for us on this side of heaven, to believe that, to have a heart for, and to believe that it's a good thing. Joy to the world, God has come to judge. It's because of his, his promise of restoration. And where are our hearts in our the way we interact with all the wrongs in this world to not just want the jury to come out and say, that's wrong, I'm right, but what does that wrong lead to? How does that all things being made right? Um, is, are we getting the idea if that's… Absolutely. Okay. That's the thing that sets apart the biblical notion of justice. It's not just payback for the wrong that is done but it's a step that says, yes, that evil is serious. It must be called out. It must be dealt with. But even the one who does it, Jesus gave his life to bear the punishment that was necessary for our redemption. So when we've experienced that, the goal always is restoration of relationship. So uh, we talked a little bit about these kind of, what are some ingredients, uh, some personal ingredients that are significant um, in a reconciliation process of brokenness if the goal of it, like you, we just said, is to be healed, to be restored, what, what are some in, kind of ingredients? I know you balk at the one, two, three, four, five, so do I, but some personal ingredients feels better to me. Yeah, okay, yeah. how about that? In fact, I know you brought up that word, so I just <laughs> threw it into this thing. This, what are the personal ingredients that… And this psalm, Psalm 98, really uses some words that are, are so central to the things that I've seen when I've actually seen God do this work of taking us from the brokenness to the point of restoration. So I'll just tell you what they are. Uh, the first, and it's in verse 3, is a word that is so profound that I uh, have to use two English words <laughs> to try to summarize it. It's, the Hebrew word is hesed. It's often translated as love, so, but sometimes it's translated as faithfulness. So, and both of those are there in verse 3. So one of the things that is central to discipline actually leading uh, to restoration is that we really love that other person, even if that person has wronged us. We, we develop the heart of God and really want, yes, the evil to be dealt with appropriately and called out, but we want the very best for that person. Isn't that the way God deals with us? Amen? Yeah, he looks at the things we have done and, and was willing to send his son so that we could be made right with him again. Jesus looks at us and was willing to bear the punishment for our sins in his body on a cross so that we could be restored. That heart, which is the genuine heart of love, wanting the best for that other person, it turns us uh, from being self-centered to being other-centered. We don't want our, just our own uh, desires to be, uh, we really want this thing to help root out, excuse me, <clears throat> to root out the sin that might be there in the other person's life, but also to restore that person to becoming a new creation in Christ. So love is one of the key elements. Another, based upon that, is, is, is commitment. Because the, biblical, the Hebrew word for love, hesed, is a covenant that God makes to love us, that he, he doesn't give up on us, 
that when anybody, even when people have turned away from him, you see it all through the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament as well, when we turn away from him, when we turn back to him, he will forgive our sins and start again with us. That's what, so a commitment that is made. God has made a commitment to us. How many times have I told you here, God has not given up on you. He's willing to do a second time with you. He's willing to go a third and fourth and fifth. When you turn back to him, he starts again. Hallelujah. That's, this is gospel, isn't it? The, the problem is that we are to develop that same heart of God. And I think this matter of commitment is so central to every time I've seen, the, seen this process work that when every party says, I'm going to make a commitment to this, instead of says, well, I'll, I'll try to give this thing, I'll give it four weeks, and if she doesn't give in, then I'll tell you there's not going to be any hope for that when we make a commitment to one another. And when it becomes a church matter, that commitment will be to the two parties, to one another, we're going to stick with this process. It also has to be a commitment back from your church and your church leadership to the parties that are involved in it and they to that. So sometimes there is a long process of discipline that happens before a time of restoration really takes place. So love and commitment uh, are, because all of us with the commitment, we, sometimes it's so hard we just want to quit, right? But with the grace and power of God, Again, James chapter 1, let patience have its perfecting work. The commitment part is central. Third word down in verse 9 is this word equity. What, what a great word to guide us. What a hard word to achieve. What it means is when you come to the end of this process, you want each party being able to look at this and say, wow, that's good and appropriate for us all. It, it's not the kind of settlement, sort of like in a, in a legal setting in which we say, I won, I got the kids, I won, I got the house, you know, that's sort of the way that we think now. It, it, it doesn't say the other one, the other side says, well, I got ripped off in this thing. No, it is this loving sort of thing that looks at the situation and says each individual, it seems to me, have been dealt with with equity. It's, it's good for the church and ultimately, the equity is it will bring something that brings honor to the name of the God that we all have been serving. The world should be able to look at us walking through these kinds of things and saying, that God must be real that those people at Lake Avenue Church worship because look at what's happening in the life of that church. Restoration and, and forgiveness and change, that's, that's what we pray for. What a great God they have is what I pray people will say when they see this at work. And then finally, that word justice. As, as Jeff, you alluded to, uh, I think we misuse that powerful word in our day. We, we think about it as just the other person gets punished rightly. But really, it just means that all things are made right. It's not just about punishment. So I've written down a few things here when I think when justice reigns in a situation where sin has been a part, the kinds of things I look for. Uh, one, this will be consistent with what I've said, Everything wrong has been disclosed. Truth sets free. Number two, appropriate discipline has been enacted. Three, genuine apologies have been spoken. Four, forgiveness has been offered and accepted. And five, all parties renew 
their commitment to live a life glorifying God, no longer the way it was, but new creations in Christ. I'll tell you, Jeff, this, I know this all seems idealistic, but you and I have worked on some things like this together. And though we haven't yet arrived at the time when the king is coming and we see it in perfection, we have seen that God does marvelous things, and he has done them here at Lake Avenue Church, and I, I give praise for him. What happens is when you begin to see this happening, Psalm 98 becomes so real. You just say, joy to the world. The Lord has come into this situation. <laughs> May the earth receive this king. So, Greg, what is your hope for us as a church? Um, how this message will change us as individuals, as families, as a congregation? Yeah. You were afraid I was only going to speak 15 minutes. Here we are. Oh, I had never have a fear of that, okay. Greg. Never, well, right. never. <laughs> you, you can tell he's talking about what is at the heart of what I, I think pastoral work and church work should be about when we look at this psalm. But my prayer is that when you come to church, there are so many. Jeff, you preach about this so powerfully in your, psalm from, uh, your sermon from Psalm 51. We come with hidden things in our lives, right? We've been, we, we've been going and engaging in things, and we come and hide them, and we hope, well, I hope I can deal with this on my own. You, I'm, I'm praying that this will be a church where you don't have to keep those things hidden, that, that the, the, the truth can come to light so that we can begin to deal with that together with you as your brothers and sisters. I pray, so I pray that first, that there will be true uh, transparency and confession in all of our hearts and lives. Um, in one of the situations we dealt with, I'll just mention this, uh, and we were dealing with it in the ministry council, uh, a member of it, one of our spiritual leaders, Dave Rumpf, after we had been dealing with this situation that had been so messy, he just looked up at me and he said, we all need to be found out. We all need to be found out. <laughs> Those things inside of us all need to come out into the open so that then we can hear God say to us, that sin I will remember no more. And hopefully your church say to you, let's walk together again, which is the second thing I hope for, is that more and more our church will, will have this heart of God, taking sin very seriously, but also taking grace very, very seriously. So that, so that we will always be willing to, let's, let's take that on, that can't stay the way it is, but it will be done with gentleness and humility. I, ju I just pray for that. And I pray that more and more and more, whether it is with our children who need to have this happen in their lives too, or with our students for whom we prayed today, or whether it is with any of us in our classes or our small groups, we'll have those places where the things that don't honor God will come out here. This kind of process sets in. We'll see the renewing power of God. Because I can tell you when we do, we are going to sing with Psalm 98. A joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let the whole earth receive this king. Let every heart prepare room for him. And then heaven and nature will sing. That's my prayer, Jeff. Amen. Amen. Greg, close us in prayer in a moment. I just have to say what we talked about earlier this morning. We, we don't have a connect banner over here because that's what churches are supposed to do so that you have one more thing to do. 
that connect banner is there so that we can live the kind of living that the psalm speaks of and the, what Greg has talked about. And I think of it a couple ways. Yes, like Dave Rump said, we need these smaller environments to be found out, to be known, to be whole. And yet, we also need these environments because for some of the situations that we all face, I think about my own story of my parents' divorce. There was no church walking with either party to make that one, rock, that, that one right. But what a church did and what a church does and what this church does is walk with even a single party who's in profound brokenness and to help them experience this kind of truth of God's reconciling work even when um, the earthly matter will never see the same kind of outcome that we pray for in some of these other things. So we need one another, one, to, to experience it, and we need one another to experience one another for when, when these things are just huge. So thank you, Greg. Would you close us in prayer? I will, and I want to say the song that was sung just before, and I didn't even know this song was going to be done. I didn't know this song had been written. All About Justice Reigning was written by a a young man who was a, a child when what you said had happened in his life. Broken family with the abandonment of the father, and now he's in Nashville, Tennessee, writing worship songs. We looked up there, I said, look at that. Jeff, not this Jeff. Jeff wrote that song. It can happen, and I pray it will, just as it did with you. So let's pray together. We'll have, Jeremy, if you'll come, I think we have a song that's perfect for this, because God does this, makes beautiful things out of dust. So let's pray. Father. I pray that these will not simply have been words spoken, but that you will use this, your word, uh, to transform us as a church, that more and more we'll become this kind of place where this kind of celebrating recovery can actually take place. I pray, Father, that this will be a morning in which those things that many of us are hiding things that need to be brought to light so you can step into them and, and cleanse them and make things new. I pray that that will take place. Father, do more than I know how to ask, as you always do. You are our God who does marvelous things. We look forward to that day that you will complete that work. And Father, we want to be available here at Lake Avenue Church for you to do your renewing, restoring work to your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.